Hey, so what's going on? Look, it's um, it's February 17th as I'm recording this. This wasn't really an episode I had planned. I kind of had some other things lined up for this episode this week. But some things that happened recently, it, it kind of reminded me that there are important documentaries, there are important stories that are out there in film that need to be told. Uh, things that are happening in the world need to be addressed, right? It's been almost two years since Russia invaded Ukraine. You know, on February 24th, 2022, that's when all of this really popped off. And not long after that, watching things happening in the news, seeing things on social media, just trying to get an understanding of like, what is that, what exactly is going on over there? And who's involved? And what are the reasons why? I found that I just really didn't have a good understanding of it. I didn't have a handle on geopolitical issues and the history and the cultures there, all that stuff. So I dove in. You can go find that episode. I looked at several documentaries focused on Ukraine. Uh, I think I even looked at a film or two, like a narrative film. And by just kind of collectively looking at those things and trying to understand history and how things have played out and how we've kind of gotten to where we are now, uh, it, it actually kind of helped, I think. It helped enlighten me a little bit, uh, have a better understanding of all these things. So same thing kind of played out here is we're coming up to February, basically the anniversary of this invasion, the start of this war that is still going on, unfortunately. And not only that, but also just a few days ago, it was announced that one of the most vocal, most visible opponents to Putin and his leadership, his regime in Russia, Alexei Navalny, he died in custody, in prison, in Siberia or somewhere. And it made me, it made me think because I remember some mentions of him and those things that were happening with him. I remember some of that going on in the news but again, I didn't really have a right understanding or a full understanding of what he was doing, what the conflict was. I mean, essentially, I, I understood that he was a voice against the sort of uh, authoritarian state in Russia as it is. And it, as it has been for 20 plus years now. But the fact that he died, I think it really raises the issue for a lot of people. I, I hope it does. And that's why I'm talking about it is what was he about and what was he fighting against and how suspicious is this that he died, right? So anyway, I wanted to look at some documentaries. I found these two documentaries that are actually kind of high profile and I had them on my list. I just never really got around to them. And unfortunately, I guess the timing of it, it's like, well, maybe this is a good point to sit down and really pay attention and think about this and talk about it. So the first one that I want to really get into is um, Navalny. It's from 2022. It's a documentary. I think it's on Max. 
But this is, it's an interesting look at him and his movement, basically his ideals, his actions, everything that kind of led up to him being in prison. And it's even introduced by him in his own words. He really does have like the opening statement of the documentary. And it's even posited that this could be a film that might only make sense or might really get attention and get the right notice after he's been killed, not dies after he's been killed. You know, it's a very kind of morbid way to, uh, to, to frame that. But I think the filmmakers, even Navalny himself understood like this is a very likely outcome. And so when you have that kind of hanging over the whole thing, it does color the way you watch this and understand what's happening in it. But this documentary does go into his perspective, his ideals, his approach to taking on a dictator, essentially, and fighting for freedom, fighting for people's rights and for democracy and fighting against corruption and the abuse of power that's happening there. And of course, all of that, you know, the, the entire state, the, the mechanism of the Russian state turned on him to the point where, you know, he was essentially an outlaw. He was an enemy of the state. He was under surveillance, even up to the event in 2020, which I remember being in the news where he was poisoned on a flight. And through circumstance or coincidence, he ended up surviving. He was in a coma for, I think, a a few weeks, but he didn't end up surviving this at the point we see him in the documentary, talking to the camera, talking to other people. This was after that. So I don't know if he was ever necessarily the same afterwards, but the thing that the documentary does that is intriguing and also kind of terrifying is he looks into what exactly happened to him because it's all suspicious and a lot of the russian state media and reports from the government all that of course they said well he had some kind of mysterious illness we don't really know maybe some kind of embolism or some kind of other cardiac issue you know everything to just say like oh it was probably some natural cause that he got sick and he was hospitalized and all this. But he knew otherwise. He knew he had a target on his back. And so this documentary, there's a good portion of it where he works with a journalist, he works with his team to try and figure out what exactly happened to him to the point where he's identifying people like FSB operatives or agents that were following him, tracking him when he got on that flight in 2020. And he even gets to the point where he starts calling these people, posing as, first posing as himself, but then posing as uh, other government officials in order to get somebody to talk, to spill the beans on what exactly the plan was, how it went wrong, how they could have maybe done it differently. It's such an eye-opening thing to realize, like, this kind of operation, like this, uh, basically assassination attempt, it's not impossible. It's certainly something that can happen, but also the amount of 
the angles that you have to cover for something like this, one person saying everything to the wrong person on the other end of the phone, and it's out in the open. And that is essentially what happened here. He got evidence. He got the receipts, you know? And it's scary to think that Russia and that part of the world, that is a thing that is possible. And it's not to say it's not possible in other places, of course, but here to have it actually recorded, have the evidence of someone saying how they planned to kill you and how they tried to do it and some things that they didn't account for ended up making it unsuccessful. Meanwhile, this is your life. I, that's got to be an incredibly uh, horrifying situation to be in. And yet, that's the other thing that the documentary shows is that for all of this, for all of the stress, the the burden of this fight that he's picked up against an entire nation, or put it this way, against the government of the nation, people were on his side. They show him having his rallies, getting into social media, posting to YouTube and TikTok, using whatever means he could to get his word out and build support. And so in that way, I mean, it's a very, it's a powerful documentary because you're seeing him in real time work out some of these things. And it essentially kind of wraps up with him deciding to go back to, uh, to Russia, I think to Moscow directly and to not live in fear, live on the run, live in hiding, but to take on this fight basically on his own. He has a team around him. He has his supporters, but he is the target. Even to the point where you see the moment where when they land, the plane lands, they're going through, I guess, like customs or, or whatever. And the, the officers descend on him and they're basically like, you need to come with us. And there's really no conversation. You just need to come with us. And I think for, I guess, people uh, in the U.S. and other parts of the world, the more open democratic societies, I think this was always a part of the idea of like what the Soviet Union was. Uh, if you're above, let's say, 35 or 40, you have a kind of a preconceived notion of what the Soviet Union would be like, what the sort of, um, the the way it would operate in the sense that if the government says something's going to happen, it's going to happen, and you're just going to have to go with it. And I think for a lot of people, that is the nightmare. I mean, especially here in the U.S., I mean, this is kind of the polar opposite. And, and I think seeing this play out like in real time with this real person who is trying to do something good. I mean, he's not just a guy, which might be even worse. But here's someone who knowingly put a target on his back and is walking around saying, I'm going to take this machine apart. But the people that run that machine, the people that live off of that machine, they are very powerful they have a long reach and this film, I mean, it shows like how they can get to you. And so it does end up with him returning, him being arrested. And from there, it kind of gets a little hazy. I mean, it really kind of wraps up because we don't really know much about what happens to him after 
he goes into arrest. They they say that he's sent to some prison colony or, you know, he's just in custody, not a lot of contact. I think some video or some messages he's able to communicate back and forth with the outside world, but it is primarily like he is shut down now. Like his voice has been taken. And so now, to, and this documentary was just two years ago. So now, two years later, to see that, well, he has passed away, and under very suspicious circumstances, of course. I mean, the fact that they basically proved that the government tried to kill him on a flight, in public, like just out in the world. What are the chances that the government probably took a second shot if he was in custody, you know? It happens. It happens here. You you get like a... A Whitey Bulger going into prison, good luck. You get a Jeffrey Dahmer going into prison, good luck. That's your ass. Now, of course, those are true criminals. Here we have someone who is a a, a freedom fighter in a sense. And so that's, of course, what makes it so tragic and really kind of terrifying to know that this can happen. Now, does that make him, in a sense, uh, a martyr in a lot of people's eyes? Maybe so. Maybe it spurs someone else to take up the torch and to continue the fight. Maybe it inspires the people of Russia to, to really take a look at, like, this is the kind of place you're living in. I don't know. I can only hope, you know? I think we can only hope that this doesn't descend into further tragedy. Which, of course, leads me to this next documentary, which is all about everything that's going on with Ukraine. It's an interesting documentary. It's it's called Superpower. It's from 2023. And it's not necessarily, I, I don't know if it's directed by Sean Penn, but he's in it. He's very much in the mix on camera. He It, it is explained that this documentary was initially just an attempt to look at this man and his rise from an actor and a comedian of sorts into an actual head of government, a head of state. And there is a little bit of, you know, history involved here. We go back to the Maidan revolution, which I talked about, but It illustrates kind of the lead up to this, like the problems that were happening there with the government that was in place and the connections to Russia and how it was just, it was too cozy. It was really just straight up corruption. And Zelensky comes in and says, hey, fresh face, we're starting over. We're tearing this whole thing down. We're going to do it right. And as we're kind of going through that, the, the documentary is also cutting back to what's happening Throughout late 2021, as they're trying to get an interview with him, they're trying to understand the culture, they go to Ukraine, they go to Kiev. And as that's all happening, we're also starting to get a sense of the buildup, that the the Russian forces are building up. There's something that looks like it's going to happen. And there's even a moment, there's a part in the documentary where Sean Penn and the crew, the team... They're discussing, like, what are the odds? Like, this is really going to pop off like this? Or is this just a threat? Is this just a lot of posturing? And when we actually get to that moment, February 24th, 
things start happening, bombs start going off. I mean, it is, you do get a sense of that, those moments of being on the ground and just really not knowing what is about to happen next. And you see, like, they essentially do this interview, like, on the fly in, like, a closet somewhere. And from there, we go into the the rush of civilians, of everybody, to kind of get out of the country. You know, like, a real war is about to go down. Families, the elderly, children, everybody's trying to get out including Sean Penn and his crew. And so you see kind of the journey there of this is really unprecedented to have just a a full-on functional society in 2022, you know, in current day, come to a stop, come to a complete standstill and evacuate because of war. Even though everything we'd just gone through as an entire world with the pandemic and all the lockdowns and all of the uh, all of the measures that had to be taken, that wasn't even the, like this. It's not even the same thing. People were afraid of getting sick. People were getting afraid of, of dying, of traveling. All those things are legit. But to think that war is coming to your doorstep and you just have to leave. And who knows where you're going? Just go somewhere else. That's a really scary proposition that I don't think for a modern society, I don't think there's any current parallel to that. One thing that the documentary tries to convey, I think, and I think it does it pretty well, is that even though Sean Penn is like in the mix of this and he's kind of the one that's pushing the thing forward and they're pivoting from what they originally set out to do into like, okay, we're making a documentary about this war now. It even addresses that He's not doing it for cameras. He's not doing it for fame. He's not doing it for, he's not doing it for the gram, you know? He's doing it because he's, one, concerned about this country and the state of democracy in that part of the world, which is a fair thing because I think most people, once they understand what's going on there, you should be concerned. But also he knows that as a public figure in a sense, as a celebrity, I guess, he has a little bit of a platform. He knows he can bring eyes to this as a as an issue to be discussed or to be sorted out. So whether it's taking it to the media or taking it to politicians, it, it's one of those things that it's a very curious place to be because I feel like he even addresses, like some people just think I'm doing this for me. But... He doesn't need to do that. He's not a person that needs to chase this just because. And look, I mean, however you feel about that, however you feel about celebrities getting involved in this kind of shit, the fact that he is able to give us a a view into this conflict in real time, the day-to-day uncertainty of where things are going to go, I I mean, that's uh, where else? Who else has done that? Who else is there to, to show us that? And, and there are parts of this documentary that are very hard to watch. They're heartbreaking. They're disturbing. They're tragic. And yet, you know, it's also, you, you see on these people's faces, you see it on Zelensky's face, you see it on the soldiers that are there, the, the civilians that are still there that are trying to keep that country going. 
you see there, there's, a, there's a lot of bravery. There's a lot of courage. There's a lot of strength. And so, I mean, for my money, that's worth producing something like this. I, I think that's the idea is you have to tell this story. And of course, we don't really know how it's going to turn out yet. The, the fact that it's still going on is a shame, you know? Of course, also, I think it's for a lot of people, and this is even addressed, that it's also surprising. I think a lot of people really expected that Russia was going to roll in there and just dominate this situation. Because for decades, Russia, formerly the Soviet Union, it was a global superpower. I mean, on par with the U.S., I mean, to the point where you do not want to start static because that is the end of you. But I think a lot of people assume that either they're going to roll in and just bulldoze the place or the Ukrainians are going to say, all right, you know what? Hey, okay, take it, you know, forget it. And so this has really been an interesting turn of events on a global scale, I guess, because one, it's been prolonged, the 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 fighting, the the power of the Ukrainian people is really like on display here. And I, and I think that's really been surprising for a lot of people that maybe don't know the area, don't know the culture there, the, the, the history there, like me, dumb people like me, I guess. <laughs> so to see this kind of outcome, these people holding out and repeatedly saying, yeah, you're not going to take this. You'll take it once we're all gone, once we're all dead. That's the only way Ukraine gives up, is if we're all dead. That's kind of crazy, but it's also admirable, you know? They're willing to stick it out. So I, I really thought this was an interesting look at the situation there, at least up until... Uh, it, it does show Sean Penn and his team, they returned to Ukraine, I think it's in June, so several months later. And they do have another visit with Zelensky. They do get a sense of like what things are like on the front line, the different issues that are coming up, and even some of the real horrifying things that have been happening there. But, you know, I think the assumption for most people was that this wasn't going to, this wasn't going to take this long. Like it was going to be it, one way or another, it was going to be resolved sooner than later. I think it's it's hopeful, I, I guess that's the right word, that Russia will maybe find a way to like back out of this or or I mean can Ukraine defeat Russia necessarily? I don't I don't necessarily know that that would happen, but they can at least push them back out the door, you know? But I think that's the thing that's so intriguing about this, I guess is that it's not really clear like how this can be resolved other than people just stopping the fight. But I think you've got both sides that are not willing to stop the fight at this point. I mean, you have to also remember like Russia at this point is basically being run by a sociopath who doesn't really care. He just wants to, to he just wants to have things his way. And so if that's where we're going, what, what does that resolution look like, you know? 
that's another scary proposition, I think. So I don't know. I don't know if these, you know, these documentaries aren't really about showing us outcomes or predicting a resolution or tying these things up in a, in a nice tidy bow. It's not necessarily about that. It's about maybe showing us how we got to where we were and then just posing the question, what happens next? How do we get out of this? Or in the case of Navalny, okay, what happens now that he's gone? Whether he went to prison at the end of the documentary or now that he's passed away, what happens next? Who picks up the torch? Those are all interesting questions, I think. So I think give these a watch, you know? You know, I think if you if you don't really have a good understanding of those things that are going on there or the people involved, these are documentaries that can at least kind of get you started, you know? Navalny is on Max. Uh, Superpower is on Paramount Plus at the moment. It might even be like an exclusive there, I think. So you can see those there. Um, you know, it's just like the, the documentaries I watched about Israel and Gaza and that conflict and the people involved and the history involved. There's some times, some moments where because I don't have a direct connection to it or, you know, I don't have a, it's not part of my background even or culture wise. Uh, I don't always know how to feel. I mean, I, I know right from wrong. And I think most of us understand like, you know, what atrocity looks like. And yet, what are the reasons? Like, why? Why is this stuff happening? And are those reasons valid? And some of these cases, it's clearly not. Clearly, like someone's just on one. But others, I feel like there's got to be some motivation for these kinds of horrible things to happen in the world. I don't know. Maybe these documentaries kind of open some eyes at least, get you thinking, get you talking about it. So, all right. I know this is a little bit heavier. It's not really where I wanted to go. I, I, I think these are more important. These are films that when you lean into documentaries, I want to see films like this that show me something that's relevant, that that is something that needs attention because in some ways this kind of stuff can spiral out into real instability, like in the entire world. So these, I think, are always good to have an eye on. All right, so that's me for this episode. Um, you know, go to filmstreak.com if you want to find others. If you want to find the list that I have that has every single movie that I've talked about on IMDb, you can do that. Uh, I went back to Letterboxd. I haven't done that in a while, but I went back and updated the list there. So if you use Letterboxd, you're that kind of movie nerd, go for it. Otherwise, um, hey, stay warm, stay safe, and uh, go watch something new.